The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Sports Drink Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Easter Sunday, and this is The Bird Calls. I am David Grubb, and I'm joined by Editor-in-Chief of The Bird Rights, Mr. Ali Cosell. Ali, the regular season has come to an end. New Orleans Pelicans lose today um, and lose their chance of avoiding the play-in tournament um, with their loss to the Timberwolves today. What, what's your first takeaway from today's game? Is there a takeaway for the final game of the season? There is. And it reminds me of some other losses they've had. And you can go back either very far or more recently, like, say, to the Houston Rockets game, Golden State Warriors game. Pelicans got off to a great start. And if ever, everybody remembers during that really bad stretch that included that 10-game losing streak, they couldn't get off to good starts. The starting lineup wasn't meshing, right? They weren't producing. But recently, like you alluded to, over the last, what, 10, 12 games, everything turned much better, and that was one of the things. They started getting off to great starts, and they were always led from by B.I., let's face it. Brandon Ingram today, fantastic start. I feel like he has to set the tone, right, from a scoring perspective to get the rest of the team going. But unfortunately, they didn't follow suit, right? There was just no shots for the rest of the guys. And then, let's face it, they've had and showed so many bad fundamentals on and off through – Basically, since let's talk about since when Zion's been hurt. That's when it's hurt the most because their margin for error is obviously smaller. You can't get away with those when you don't have Z giving you a guaranteed 25 points. And that's what got him tonight, David. Boxing out on free throws has to be one of the most mundane tasks in basketball. But the Pelicans probably did as bad of a job as I've ever seen. Seven then, points alone. Yeah, let's just start there. Just What, what do you see there? I mean... For me, a lot of fans were crying for where's Jonas Valanciunas, let's say, in the fourth quarter. I had a bigger issue with if you're going to play small, where was Dyson Daniels? Look, we know Larry Nance has not been right since he's come back from his left ankle injury. He's been ha- a shell of himself from the start of the season. So, of course, and, and Larry's a warrior. I don't want anybody to think that we are insulting yes. Larry. We appreciate Larry's effort. We really do. But it's unfortunate. If you can't notice that Larry is is, is maybe – 80% of himself, maybe 80%. I wouldn't put it much higher than that if it is. He has no explosiveness right now, and his ability to push around the rim defensively is almost non-existent. Right. And, David, here's here's the worst part of that I was going to get to with the free throws. So he's obviously now doesn't have the same strength, but guess what? So does anybody else lined up across from him. Suddenly you're asking either B.I., Herb, or Trey – to box out Carl Anthony Towns. Even Kyle Anderson can be a bear, right? Because he's bigger and stronger than all three of the guys I just listed. So that's why I had issues with, you know, some of the rotations maybe Willie chose to go with down the stretch. Look, you're not going to get scoring from Dyson. We know his confidence has been shot now for a couple of months or so. 
But what you can get, right, is the defense. You can get the rebounding, and you can get his passing ability, something I think that the Pelicans could have used down a stretch of this game. Passing was a big problem. We talk about B.I.'s start. He gets 21 points in the first quarter, outscores the entire Timberwolves team by himself, who only had 18. He only gets 21 in the final three quarters. And a big chunk of that twenty of that came in the fourth quarter when he finally got some shots to go down late. But the second and third quarters, again, in the Pelicans' losses, when they've struggled, B.I. has disappeared in those second and third quarters. And I, and I don't say that to say that Brandon Inger himself takes himself out of the game. But everything conspires, whether it's the rotations, like you talk about the people you put alongside B.I. in those circumstances, and then the fact that you really don't have a second ball hander when you don't have Dyson Daniels in the game because C.J., who we need to talk about too, is compromised with his ball handling right now. His finishing is compromised. So there are shots that he's less willing to take right now because he does not have the control on his layups. He doesn't have the control on the floater to feel as confident as he, as he can and you can see that his ball handling is just not as tight. Yeah, David, didn't we see that stretch out of McCollum at the most inopportune time? He misses, if I remember right, a pull-up three, an open one, with inside yep. two minutes to go. And then Herb Jones misses that CJ miss um, right, at the la- right at the rim. Should have been a lay-in, right? Because he was free on that offensive rebound. Then CJ, spectacular play by Edwards, but still, he gets his uh, drive blocked at the rim. You got to figure CJ that's healthier is going to be a lot more savvy, right? You know, not to challenge anybody that can jump over you. So at least get yourself maybe the free throw line, shoot a layup on the other end or whatever. And then he had a turnover and then he missed those two free throws. But like you, I'm not going to go all in on him because he's been playing with a busted thumb since I want to say at the end of January. And if people take the time to look at his shooting numbers before, Say, I want to say it's like January 28th or 9th. I think his thumb injury happened in the Wizards game, so look for that. But you look before and after, his numbers have just gone down across the board, shooting-wise, and especially from the free-throw line. So I'm not trying to make excuses for his two missed free-throws. They were obviously big. I think the Pels were still only trailing by one when that happened. It was still a game. It, it, It just, you have to put a lot on CJ, though. He's supposed to be your second guy to be eyeing. Unfortunately, he, he just wasn't big for them. He wasn't able to not only make shots, but he didn't create any for anybody else. And that's what hurts this offense the most, right, David? If B.I., what we've seen over the last 12 games, if B.I. isn't creating, right, those open shots, Pelicans still struggle offensively like they did when they were losing. Yeah, I mean, we forget that C.J. basically had to carry the team offensively for about an eight, nine game stretch where he was putting up 24, 25 every night, was getting eight assists. I mean, was regularly putting up some double-doubles for a stretch as well. And then the injury occurred. And, and, and we talked about this at the beginning of the season. The plan was never for CJ to be the two. He's supposed to be the third guy. And he had to take on a lot this year that he didn't anticipate taking on, that the team didn't anticipate him taking on. And then you compound that with the injury. And it's been really difficult for him. And I think, again, we talk about the unwillingness of, at times of Willie to try other ball handlers like Kyra, like Dyson, their, their, their lack of playing time since Jose has gone out. And that, to me, is, is, is a big part of this, too. You know, Jose was getting 20 minutes a game at that backup point spot and handling the ball and allowing CJ to play off ball so much in those situations. Well, he doesn't trust anybody else to handle the ball outside of Jose. So even when Dyson is in the game, he's not the point guard. When, when Kyra's in the game, he's not the point guard. They are 
ball handlers by by designation, but not by the way that the, the offense wrote, uh, works when they're in the game. Exactly, and that's a problem, right? I think that's why you've always voiced for this team needs uh, some kind of veteran point guard, right? It doesn't have to be a starter, but somebody coming off the bench. Because if, if it's not Brandon or Zion, you're in trouble, right? We've seen it way too many quarters where they've just gone stagnant because of that. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard on for me to harp on CJ anymore mm-hmm. or even Larry. Because, look, those both of those guys, David, they played through injury this year. And I can't say that not everybody in that team did when they were hurting, right? Seemed like, like, for instance, Brandon, right? It almost felt like he needed to be 100% before he came back from his toe injury. You know, Ingram, or excuse me, McCollum and Nance would have preferred to take, you know, a couple more weeks off so they could get themselves more, right? But they did. They battled and persevered. So, like I said, we can't go in on them. Mm-hmm. What we can go in on, though, is, is we've got to really just harp on the lack of execution for me. David, when Brandon has got it going, usually it's because the opponent, right, they're giving him that runway where he can go one-on-one, where they're not so quick to stop him in transition. And that's why B.I., I feel like, gets off to good first quarters. But after that, I'm not sure what the plan is. Because if you stop B.I. suddenly, it really seems like it's quite easy, right, to stop this team. All of a sudden, they're going to kind of suffocate trying to find an open shot. And they usually don't find – or the ball doesn't find the right man to shoot it. Case in point, Trey Murphy ending up with 10 shots tonight. That, to me, is inexcusable. For as well he's, as he's been playing, I think for the longest time in that game tonight, he had one three-point attempt. I want to say through maybe the first three quarters. That's completely unacceptable. You know, one of the things that I pointed out was the Pelicans' record when Trey gets 12 shots, and they win like 80% of the time when Trey gets 12 shots. And then the three losses that they've had in these last 12 games, only one of those games did he get 12 shots, and it was exactly 12. All the, the other two, he was at 10, or and, and when the Pelicans have lost, you'll see it. The last few games that they've lost in this stretch, when they started turning it around, was when Trey didn't get shots. And what happens is, like you said, B.I. in the first five seconds of the clock, and Willie talked about this, is how critical it is for them to maintain pace, but he has to do things to help them accelerate that pace with the lineups that he puts on the floor. Because guys like Josh Richardson slow the ball. Uh, if B.I. gets stopped in those first four or five seconds and he's forced to become a six or seven dribble B.I., then that's where the flow stops. When B.I. is quick passing, when he gets into his drive, like you said, when he gets it at half court and he takes two hard dribbles and he finds himself in the in the, the middle of the floor and is able to create, that's one thing. But this is, again, we know this is a team without Jonas on the floor in particular, doesn't have great screeners to free him up for space. And they don't run a lot. They can't run a lot of sets with him catching it in in different spots because there's nobody to get him the ball. So B.I. has to have the ball so much. The offense does stagnate. And that does not help a guy like Trey when there are no plays really run for him to free him up for shots, either through screens, off ball movement, picks, whatever. There's nothing really to create, um, create looks for Trey. He has to get them where they come. And that. If they're going to go into this, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but as they go into the play-in, you have to get 20 points out of Trey in these two games coming up. If you're going to make it to the playoffs, you can't have Trey somewhere at around 10 shot attempts and hoping that he hits six or seven threes in that group. He has to get volume over these next two games. And you know where you need the volume from? You need it from three. Why? For the gravity to open up the lane a lot more for Brandon. 
And, and, and that's why I was shocked tonight that he didn't even hit five three-point attempts, right? I didn't see the screens set up for him, whether it was Valanchunas or even Herb, right? Herb had done a pretty good job of late setting that kind of these hidden screens on whoever's been guarding Trey, so he kind of gets free. He figures out a way to get himself free. I just didn't see any of those actions tonight. And here's the biggest problem, though. I know we're also harping about Brandon and, and what he maybe needs to do, but look, there's no doubt that the biggest disaster with this team right now is non-BI minutes. In my head, I was thinking, if I'm Willie, do I even sit BI down in this game at all in the second half? And sure enough, to open up the fourth, Minnesota went on a run. And that's easily been the story. Um, despite the fact they've now won, you know, they finished the season winning nine of 12. And all the down moments and the worst moments, it all occurred when BI was on the bench. So to me, I don't know how you overcome that. I mean, I've got I've, I've got some opinions, but I want to ask you this first, David. What can the Pelicans do, say, against OKC, right? That's going to be their playing tournament game first coming up because they dropped to that ninth seed, nine versus ten on Wednesday. And so I think we'll transition into it. What can the Pelicans do in non-BI minutes? I'm with you. I think that they have to play him 40-plus minutes now at this stage. I mean, like, the season is almost over. You have to, we we have to, you know, look, Brandon missed, what, 30 games this year? 35 games? Oh, sure. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, something <laughs> like that. I mean, so he should be ready to go. I'm sorry. Like, at this stage, you're going to get nights off. You know what I mean? You're going to get two nights off most of the time between games. You're going to get back-to-back games in the same city. So, to me you got to play BI as much as possible, but like you, but I agree with you in those non BI minutes, then you really have to center the offense around Trey. Quite frankly, if BI is not on the floor, you have to center the offense around Trey. Like it has to, the ball has to be in Herb's hands more. Quite frankly, you have to use Herb as the point guard point forward in that situation and let Herb attack because he cannot stay without the ball. Herb without the ball in non-BI minutes is worthless. He is no threat in those situations. So the only way you make Herb a threat to me is you put the same way you did with BI, is you put the ball in Herb's hands and you say, Herb, you got to just be a downhill guy now. You have to attack the basket and see what happens. Because I think, by and large, we trust Herb's decision-making. And I don't think he's going to take shots that he can't make but if you say to him, attack the basket and see what you can do, I think he'll do that. I think, And I think it, it creates some aggressiveness for him where he needs to have it. Because ultimately, I don't need her take – if he takes threes that come the way he's gotten in the last few, couple of games, that's fine. But ultimately, the best thing that Herb can do is get to the free throw line. And he does that by, to me, attacking the basket, being around the rim. Yeah, I, I, besides Trey, since March 1st, I don't think, without a doubt – Nobody has played better than Herb Jones. And, of course, I'm excluding Brandon Ingram because everybody knows how well he finished the season. And, to, and, and for, for me, it's not just, just that Herb's scoring, hitting some threes, and, of course, giving it the defense. I like the free mentality he's been playing with, right, the aggressiveness. And as I said to you before we started this chat, that was one thing that was obviously missing tonight. I thought they could have used a Herb Jones that grabs a rebound, and attacks in transition or a guy that catches it secondary, you know, off of some secondary action, whether it's making a play from the corner, ball fake, a drive. I can recall him maybe driving twice all night. 
that's not enough. So I don't know whether he was, you know, kind of reverted in the shell because of the big lights. Maybe there was a, you know, a coach's kind of order. Hey, we're going to live and die with the ball being in uh, B.I. and C.J.'s hand a lot more tonight. Because I'll tell you what, the rotation seemed to dictate that, right? No Dyson Daniels really echoed to me that Willie was going with guys that he probably trusts more, right? Especially vets. So I don't know, like I said, whether you put it on Herb. But either way, as you said, Herb has got to be a bigger part of this offense. And he had been playing that well. And not to see any of that tonight just killed him. So even though B.I. goes for 40-plus, Trey still gets 20. I thought Herb not getting any kind of touches or creating any kind of offense may have hurt even more, right, coming down the stretch. Because all we were watching was B.I.'s going to try and drive, got doubled somewhere along the lines, kicking it to C.J., who then tries to make a play by himself. With no Jonas, there was nobody else doing anything for you, even trying to, and that's what really killed him. you got to put some points up, right? I know that they're a defensive team. They held Minnesota to, you know, below their season average. But, look, you still got to put some more points on the board, and I feel like that's got to be Herb maybe. And I think it's one of the other things, too, is – a, you notice how important Mike Conley was to Minnesota mm. and the change that he has brought to that team. Changing D'Angelo Russell for Mike Conley, huge benefit to the Timberwolves. Mike Conley gets that steal that leads to the um, three-point play that sealed the game, essentially. So, I mean, it was just, again, we talk about veteran veterans and knowing what to do in that situation. Because the Timberwolves last year, the thing we talked about was this was the dumbest team we had ever seen. They were super talented but basketball dumb. And you saw what happened with them adding Torian Prince, adding Mike Conley, adding Kyle Anderson, all these guys who were veterans who have been to the playoffs before have done, you know, big things individually and have have been a part of team success. You saw in those final five minutes, those layups that Herb missed because the Pelicans missed a number of layups. They missed a number of free throws, all those things. I think that was nerves too, because as the game got tight and you talk about these guys, they were, they have not had to do these things. They didn't have, they didn't have to, the, the pressure wasn't the same last season. And we talked about this, you know, Willie even talked about this, that people were not going to give them what they gave them last year. There was no sneaking up on people. People mm-hmm. are going to give you their best shot. They know what you are capable of. They know what BI is. They know what Herb is. They know what Trey is. The, Chris Finch knows this group pretty damn well. We know that already. Chris Finch has, has experience with a lot of these guys going back this time on the Pelicans bench. So that I think that that experience is going to count for something. Um, and I think that it, it, it also, when you look at Willie's lack of experience, that over-reliance maybe and tightening that rotation a bit too much tonight, this afternoon, I think that that's something that for Willie to trust Josh Richardson, I get that Josh is a vet. But he's not your vet. He hasn't put in the, the work with these guys. And to me, I think, you know, you had guys who've been here the whole season who know who who also had earned their spot, who had been part of the regular rotation. And I think today, Willie, you know, maybe overcoached himself a bit. Yeah, I think that's a good point you're making. I had looked it up because I was curious about it. Yeah, Josh played over 15 minutes just in the second half alone, right? To where Jonas, I believe, was under eight minutes. Najee, not even five. Larry at seven. I, I don't know what to make of that other than the fact that you've got to say, I think Willie kind of screwed that up because Josh has not earned that of late with his play to me. He started off great when he first arrived in New Orleans, surprising pretty much everybody um, with his, not only his shot making, right, but just 
his savvy play and defensively, he was just a hound dog. He reminded me of Josh Hart almost in a sense where he was up in everybody's face. He's kind of, you know, waned in that respect where he's just not making as many plays, right? right? And that's what Willie said today. The Pelicans didn't make enough plays. So that's why Josh's play stood out to me because I didn't see him do anything on the court. I the saw biggest August thing you're going to remember is the bad three. Yeah, very true. And I'm glad you had mentioned Mike Conley because guess what? Somehow on the Timberwolves side, the ball found Cat and Ant Edwards almost every time in that fourth quarter as to where with the Pels, the ball just didn't find either the right players or the guys at the right time. And, yeah, that's why I feel like this Pelicans loss, you honestly have to attribute as much to it to the coaching staff as you do the players. Yeah, I mean, you talk about it. You know, you go into the fourth quarter, Carl Anthony Towns, three straight three-pointers to start the fourth quarter. You're up two. You've lost a double-digit lead. You were up 15. It's shaved down to two. And, again, the Willie decision to sit B.I. to start the fourth when, really, you probably should have left him in to hold on to that lead because once it was gone, the Pelicans got it back for one second, got up, you know, got up by one point, and then lost it again. Once that lead was gone, you felt it. I think we all felt it watching the game was that as that was chipping down, chipping down, when Towns goes on that 9-0 run to start the fourth, everything kind of left the Pelicans. It, it just, the energy was different. It might be kind of, because I even felt like it. I kept on having to remind myself there's 10 minutes left in a game, but it seemed like to me, everybody's acting like there was two minutes left in a game, yeah. right? Yeah. Everything got, the, the turnovers increased. The, the the poor shot selection increased. They rushed on offense either to do something or they were super slow and did nothing. And it was just, there was nothing that you could look at in the fourth quarter where you said, yeah, that was a good a good sequence. When Even when they did score, it felt like it was a bucket rather than the outcome of successful offense. Yeah, and that's, what it, that, that, that's why it's so troubling, right? I know the Pelicans just shoot well from three. They shoot better. They probably win this game. And look, before CJ missed those two free throws, I think they had missed only one free throw up to that point, so they took care of that business. So there were things that they had done well, but – it's when you just don't box out. And I know that Minnesota didn't have 15 offensive rebounds, but when it happens off of free throws, I just feel like, okay, you let it happen once. And I even remember Antonio Daniels mentioning on a broadcast where Brandon Ingram turned to the bench, said to the coaching staff, my bad, I won't let it happen again. Well, guess what? It happened again. Maybe not, you know, through B.I.'s fault, but through the team's fault. And so that's where I'm holding the coaching accountable. You've got to somehow light that switch for them. You've got to turn it on in that moment for them to understand the gravity of the situation. Where if you you let up maybe just another potentially another rebound like that happen, you could lose a game on it. And looking back on it, it sure feels like that may have been it, right? You yeah. catch a couple of those rebounds, you don't put them on the free throw line. If you're paying attention, if you're like CJ coming up the court, you don't have those strips like from behind from what was I think Mike Conley late in the game. If you're more focused, I think you still win despite you don't make a single three, it seems like. I think they made one, David, in the second half. Yeah, yeah, they finished with three for the game, get outscored by 30 points from the three-point line. You know, And again, it was okay for that to happen when you were having overwhelming success in the paint. Well, you're not having that now. And again, it's, it's not just the function of how many they make, it's how, how they're generated when they get those shots and who's taking them. And the Pelicans struggle at getting the people they want to take shots, good, clean shots. And that is a problem. But the good news is the, the four years 
of losing is over. The Pelicans finally get a winning season for the first time since the 2017-18 season. They go to the postseason for the second consecutive time. We'll see if they get into the playoffs for the second consecutive time. Those are good things. And yes, Ali, you know, for all the problems with injuries, for all the disappointments this year, the 10-game losing streak, for them to get to this point, for them to fight back when, quite frankly, we were ready. I know I was ready um, after that Lakers game to really be like, I don't think they're coming back from that. It just felt like they were about to die as a team then. For them to, to pick themselves up and get to this, to give themselves a chance, I do have to give them some credit for that, for fighting through that, even though I think ultimately the tale of this season will be a disappointing one. I don't know. That's where maybe I, I differ from you. Brandon played 45 games this year. Zion, 29. Uh, that's the disappointment. Let me, I mean, I'll say that. The disappointment yeah. is... But I agree with you also. Been. Yeah, I also agree with you that I was out on this team after those back-to-back losses for me. It was not just the Lakers. It was following it up with that loss to the Rockets when they supposedly had that meeting, right? They sat down, looked each other in the eye, trying to basically make sure they were going to be accountable here on out. And they largely did that, even though, like I said, they dropped that following game of the Houston Rockets to open up that two series, uh, two game series there in Houston. So that's why I have difficulty in saying it's disappointing. I think the reason it probably stings, at least in a lot of fans' minds, is this game tonight was gettable against the Timberwolves because you got off to a good start. Carl Anth- or excuse me, Rudy Gobert got into an altercation with Kyle Anderson, right, to where it led to the dismissal of Gobert. Not only from the game, but they sent him home, the Timberwolves. So you thought, okay, they're having all these personal uh, issues on their bench. They're going to be – McDaniels breaks his hand. And then I was getting to that. And then <laughs> their best defensive player, he goes out because he punches – what was it, David? I think a wall going to the locker yeah, room. Yeah, in, in the locker room, in the tunnel. He punched the, the wall in the tunnel. So there was all in the – there was so many reasons why the Pelicans should have seized advantage because he losses for the Timberwolves right there. But they didn't take advantage. So, like I said, I think that's why this loss stings. You saw so many things working in the first half. Minnesota suddenly being down two key guys. And it, it almost seemingly sitting right there on a the platter for you. And you just couldn't grab it, right? And then in the second half, I don't think any Pelicans were better than Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Edwards. And that's a problem. So that's where you then look at the Pelican stars, right, in CG and BI. So, like I said, these guys had largely been playing so well now for the plus, what, two and a half, three weeks. To have that second half come against when you had certain things in your favor and not to be able to cash in in such a big, pivotal game, I think that's why this loss probably counts as five, you know, a lot of fans' minds. Yeah, you think about the games that they should not have lost. And, yeah, there are games over the course of the year that they probably shouldn't have won if they did win, but it's the ones that to the to the below 500 teams, particularly at home this year, or the games against Eastern Conference bad teams that they blew this year. Those are the ones that I think that stick with you because even without Zion, even without, you know, the fully loaded roster, some of those you thought they should be better than this. It's, it, you know, in, in the group chat before we did this, um, one of our guys was talking about this. This felt like there were four different seasons and there really were almost four different seasons for the Pelicans. There was that build at the beginning where, Zion first had to get himself going and the Pelicans started building towards something You're like, Hey, there, there might be something here. And then there's the apex around Christmas when they beat the Suns, And it feels like the Pelicans have arrived. 
they're about to be a, you know, we don't, we, you don't, we didn't just presume, but it felt like they're on the cusp. Zion was an MVP talk. Remember that? Yeah, but Zion was an MVP dunk. talk. Everybody talked about that finishing dunk. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're, we're sitting at the stage where you're like, they, they may be about to turn into, we'll start to see what they, what it is that we think they're going to become. And then you go through that 10 and 25 stretch, starting with the new year, that no matter what the circumstances were for this group, it's, it's unconscionable for them to go 10 and 25 over a three-month span. It just didn't make sense. The 10-game losing streak, the, the inability to win two in a row ever, it, you know, for over that span, it was always one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, one step back. And then come together after that Houston loss and then regroup and get yourself back into playoff position. Yeah, it's it's been a really weird season, for, but it's it's that for the NBA. Because I think if you could, if you talk to any one of these teams right now, they'd say, yeah, we went through this same kind of stages too. So I don't think it's unique to the Pelicans in that regard. I think fans need to keep that in perspective that it isn't unique this year. This has been a crazy year across the NBA. And the Pelicans ultimately, I think, are going to be disappointed about what they left on the table. You can't control the injuries. You can't control those things. Those are out of your hands. But the ones that they should have taken, like that game in Houston when you're up 20 and you blow that game, that can't happen. Like losing at home you know, to some of the teams that they lost to this in the second half of this season, those things can't happen in critical moments. And I think that is going to be the part that's disappointing, is that they should have been. And we said this before the season, they should have been a top six seed. No matter what, we thought they were legitimately in position to be a six. And they were in that till the last day. But again, they were in that position where they kind of were falling back into six rather than running towards it. They should have been in this position to start with, is my take on all of this. They should have gone through a 10-game losing streak. They should have gone through so many multiple instances where all we were talking about was, where was that um, urgency? Right. Why was Willie Green consistently being called um, into question about his team's lack of effort or focus? That can't happen because this team had never accomplished anything. Right. This wasn't a group of veterans like saying Gold State. So I understand that they had an up and down season. But this team, like I said, had made the playing tournament barely a season ago, squeaked in the playoffs even you know, more by the skin of their teeth. And I knew, granted, they finished on a high because they played so well against the Suns, but that's not really an accomplishment, right? So when this team started falling down a cliff, I kept on listening to certain players. Like, for instance, I remember Jose, after one game, just I think they had lost about six, right? It was about on loss number five or six of that 10-game losing streak, saying, look, this is our overall record still. These things happen. And I just felt like that kind of attitude permeated in the air, in the locker rooms, in the practice arena for a good long while before finally, okay, look, we're suddenly looking on the outside end of the playing tournament. Let's get our act together. If they had gotten that act together sooner, I think they pick up a few of those wins that, like I said, they wouldn't have then during that 10 game losing streak. Or I think David, like you said, during that stretch of 10, what was it? 10 wins 10 and in 25. 25 or something. 10 and yeah. 25. And if you say you turn some of those into W's, Guess what? The Pelicans end up a five or six, right? Despite the fact that they blew tonight, they blew some other games down the stretch. And and that's the, that's the thing is I think mentally is the, still the biggest question for this team. It's not the talent that we question. There are some insufficient talent, you know, places where you need more talent. 
We know that. But overall, that part of it, the fact that you didn't see the same urgency that you see out of a Sacramento every night, that you see or out the of Knicks, a, right? Talk the, about Willie Green has built it. I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but mm-hmm. look. We all know that Willie Green says he holds everybody accountable. That what was it? It's non-negotiable to play at 110%. That, that's what he said. It started last year when they got that terrible start. Yep. And for some reason, it felt like it was okay this time around when that adversity hit. Yep. And that's my biggest issue. And, and that's going to be the change. You know, as you get into the postseason, that's, I think, the test. Honestly, if you're David Griffin, you have to be watching that element is it's not necessarily, again, it's not necessarily the outcome because they they shouldn't, even if they get to the playoffs, they're not supposed to be much. They're at the bottom of the standings. You know, this if they got to the second round, that's a win. But what you're looking for, if you're David Griffin, is some maturity in this situation, out mm-hmm. of this team, tenacity. And you're looking for, for Willie Green to take some growth in the postseason to start emerging and saying, this is a guy that can grow with this team because next year for everyone, and I, uh, you know, I know this is still looking ahead, but next year for everyone is the, that's the bottom line. Whatever happens next year is going to be the referendum on this group of players as presently constructed, the, 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 the main players on this team. Some things will happen this offseason, certainly, and all these guys won't be back. But the main guys, the BIs, Zion, CJ, and Willie, this is this this next season is the referendum on all of them and David Griffin and David Griffin. So for all of them to be looking at this now, how they how they approach the playoffs and the play in in particular, how they show up on Wednesday, yeah, mentally, that is going to tell you so much about the future of this team because again, if they come out like you said, if if they don't come out with a great start. At home, in a must-win game on Wednesday against Oklahoma City Thunder, if they don't figure out how to get B.I. the ball in good in spots, if they don't figure out how to create shots for Trey Murphy between the, in the next two days before Wednesday, there's going to be a big problem on Thursday. And how they get something out of their bench, which has been sorely lacking. So as, as the starting lineup took off, the bench just vanished, right? Especially from a point standpoint. And, and you kind of – it's a given, right? No Jose, you're missing Zion, and um, you're suddenly thrusting those guys in the starting lineup or they're just out. Um, yeah, that was bound to happen. But my thing is just the lack of productivity. You can't have another game like you did tonight against the Timberwolves on Wednesday against OKC. So that means you're going to have to get some rebounding defense. So I really expect for Willie, and I hope the coaching staff figures out that – Maybe going to such a short bench, especially with those around those three guys, is not the right answer. Because I, I certainly saw it, right? This, this was not the right answer tonight. So I hope that they change that up. And then, of course, just utilizing Valentinus, that's going to be interesting to me. Because he's had some really big games against those non-traditional starting, uh, starting center type of teams, right? Against Detroit earlier, even against OKC. There's been other instances as well. But getting him going probably feels like my biggest key. And, of course, B.I.'s got to get himself going. But then, as you mentioned, figuring out how to get the bench, getting the three-point shots, getting how, getting how tr- you know, basically get Trey going, that's all got to happen. You've got to be able to check all those boxes against O'Keefe. See, because you know one thing about them, they're going to play hard 48 minutes. 
they're going to come up and try and get in transition as much as possible. And if they get in the half court, well, you know, Shea's going to have the ball trying to create something or get to the free throw line. So you kind of know what's going to be coming at you. So you should know between that and what you did wrong tonight, you should be able to carve, I think, a good game plan. So that's what I'm going to be looking for the most, right? I know we want to see the shots going from the players, but that's why I'm, I'm, I'm even going to be holding the coaching staff accountable. Mm-hmm. So to your point about Willie being safe and moving on, that's true. But what about the rest of this coaching staff, right? We've long talked about it on and off, at least off air, right, amongst ourselves, that I'm not sure if this is quite the entire group that should stay together, right? Because who's the offensive mind, for instance? I think Jaron Collins has done a good job defensively, but offensively, when things get tough, who do you turn to, David? And who's the, the, the veteran voice here? You know, again, I think that it's, it's critical for young coaches to have somebody who can, can give you that experience and who's not afraid to be the real bad guy. And you look at the Pelicans coaching staff and who's the bad guy? Who's the bad guy? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a staff that's very, again, very likable. Everything about the Pelicans is likable. Somebody has to be the bad guy. Look under Alvin staff, remember Darren Ehrman, bad guy. You know what I mean? Like he was, he was the bad guy. There has to be, and Stan wasn't afraid to be the bad guy, Mm -hmm. you know, certainly. And, And came with that willingness. And I think, that's one of those things that's hard for a coach who's in his early 40s to do because you are so close in age to those players that there is a big brother quality that goes on. And I think that there has to be some of that distance. You have to create that distance um, through your force of will. You can only have your players like you so much. They have to at some point respect you enough to know that your word is law, but you've also got to adjust too. And I think Willie is struggling at, at times with that adjustment, but that's a second year coach. I mean, you, you know, again, a, a second year coach who has not been given the perfect circumstances. It's, it's been a difficult run for Willie. Uh, and I don't think it gets easier in the short term because this Oklahoma city game, you take OKC. Yes. The Pelicans three and one against Oklahoma city this year, all the games, very close. The thunder route, the Pelicans in the last one, to, to, to save a game in the series. Uh, SGA, 33 points a game against the Pelicans this year. And like you said, the two things that the Pelicans struggle with, teams that run a lot and teams that get in the paint really easily. That's what the Thunder live to do. Every one of their guys can put the ball on the deck and get to the rim. Every last player on their team and you talked about the Jonas matchup. He's only averaged 11 points a game against them this season. So if you're going to use him, and Willie has struggled with this, it's it's you have to get him points early before they sub. It has to be B.I. And, and Jonas early. And it has to be those the first quarter and the third quarter when you're using him. When he's in, he has to be an offensive weapon. You cannot have him out there and not feed him. No, I agree. And... I'm a little worried, just like you, about this matchup because they're going to be causing havoc. They're going to be frenetic. Lou Dort is going to be up in B.I.'s face, most likely. And, of course, C.J. is going to be hounded just by the length of everybody that's out there, right? I mean, between Giddy to Jay Will. yeah. (laughs) I mean, so C.J. is going to have a tough time. So that's where you're going to honestly need a lot from Trey, Herb, and Jonas, right? So they've got to somehow get back to producing the way they were right over this good stretch. 
I mean, if you remember, this good stretch started with Jonas having a lot of 20 and 10 type of games. Of late, he's kind of disappeared more, and, and it's been more of a focal point right on Trey and her. But look, he's a weapon, and I think you got to go at him because who's he going? Who, who's going to guard him? Right? It's Jay Will, right? There's their makeshift center, right? Better suited as a power forward by traditional standards. So Jonas has definitely got the size and strength advantage of him. So you've got to put him, you know, down in the paint early and often, and try and get him to the free throw line. Get him going that way. Just beat up on these guys because otherwise. Yeah, it's going to turn into what's going to be kind of feel like a track meet. And the Pelicans don't fare well, and that's what kind of I feel like Minnesota happened. That game got out in the open court, but not in the Pelicans' favor because they weren't the team playing with force. They've got to play with force, and if it can't be B.I., you've got to find another avenue. Turnovers are the biggest the part of that series. Um, this season, the Pelicans are averaging seven, more than 17 turnovers a game against Oklahoma City. When the Pelicans give up 17 turnovers in a game this season – they're seven and twelve, but four, three of those wins are against Oklahoma City. So against the rest of the league, they're four and eleven when they turn it over seventeen times. If they cannot, and we talk about Bi six turnovers a game against Oklahoma City, CJ four turnovers a game against Oklahoma City, um, Trey two turnovers, Jonas three, Herb two point three. So you're getting seventeen point three turnovers just from your starters against OKC. That number has to be around 10 for the Pelicans to have a chance, a, a real chance of winning this game. Because if it's around 17, I don't see them winning this game. Yeah, and you've got to take advantage of OKC's inexperience. This is the first time that I think just about for everybody on their roster is going to be on this stage. And you just mentioned the fact that the Pelicans have found some success against this team despite the uh, their high number of turnovers. That's because OKC, they make their you know equal share of those type of errors. So that's why I think you've got to do. You've just got to come up to a good game plan that's sound and it gets executed well by the players. So whether that is getting out in transition or you're getting in the half court, but make sure you stick to those fundamentals. Just don't turn the ball over. I mean, honestly, sometimes it's that simple. It's just like the boxing out part that killed them tonight. Just take care of what you can control. And as AD likes to say, hit singles. I don't think you need to look for home runs. And if you're not capable passer, why are you ever looking for home runs to begin with? I really only trust B.I. right now to look for kind of those cross-court passes. I mean, I know he's had his hiccups, David. You kind of alluded to that. But I think for the most part, he's been solid. But otherwise, everybody else, just pass it to the guy next to you, right? Pass it to the open guy. And you'll beat the Thunder because they'll probably make a lot of mistakes, especially since they'll be on the road, right, in a rowdy atmosphere. So just take care of that. And let's make sure we can get to that second playing game, right? Give yourselves a chance to actually get in the playoffs by winning that first one. Yeah, there, there is no second game if you don't win the first. And they get the benefit that they didn't have last year of getting the first one at home in a Smoothie King Center that will be loud and raucous. Um, and they've had good success well, at year, home. No, David, last year the first one was at home. They beat the Spurs, remember? That's right. That's right. The first one was at home against yeah. Spurs. That's right. So, um, but they get that, you know, get that at home again. And, and like um, we talked about, this, you know, this as far as a home schedule, this is one of the most successful home schedules in the history of the Pelicans. So they had a really good um, home slate this year. So the home court advantage should be there, but the only way they can give it up is by coming out and, and not asserting themselves. And they need to, you know, I think it, it you know, for if you're Oklahoma City, it doesn't. I think it's easy to say this isn't a big stage for them because for them it's a division game. It's a division game. You played these guys four times already. And you've been right there. You outscored them over the course of the four games. You've been right there. So for them, 
I think you just, they approach it as it's not a playing game. We're not supposed to be here anyway. They're in the same position that the Pelicans were in last year, where it's like, we know these guys, we, like the Pelicans knew the Spurs. You know what I mean? And you come in there and you say, it's just a regular season game. And you just play it that way. For them, it's game 83. It's not a playing game for them. It's a division game on the road. And they've had some some close games there. I 100% agree with you. And if I'm Mark Dagnall and the rest of their coaching staff, that's exactly how I approach this. But I'll tell you what, it's probably a much different thing in practicality, right? That's one thing in theory, mm-hmm. but to come out and make sure that the players feel like that, right? Just play free. It's probably an entirely different matter, right? You know that the media lights are going to be three, five, whatever amount of time stronger. And then there's, of course, just the pressure, right? You know it's a national te- televised game. Everybody's going to be talking about it. And I think you just have a natural tendency of building that pressure within your own ears, right? Almost every young guy has ever, you know, you've talked about it later in their careers on how they react to their first playoff games. It's usually not good just simply because it is an elevated game, right? The Thunder have never gone through, like I said, most of these guys, they're not going to know just how important every possession is on every play from tip off. You know, the coaches can tell you one thing, but until you actually go through it, that's another. So that's why I kind of disagree with you in that sense. I think it's one thing to say Mm -hmm. that they should play free, that they've really got nothing to lose here, which they don't. Nobody expect them to make the playoffs, play in, finish number 10. But they did, especially without their number two pick. So I don't know. I can see it go either way, but I just think that if the Pelicans come out and punch hard, punch punch strongly, execute their game plan, they're really going to put the ball in OKC's corner, and that's what they got to do. They have to win the first quarter, and of course they have to win the fourth quarter um, in this game. And, and that's always the question with the Pelicans is can they maintain it over the course of 48 minutes? And I think there's a lot of pressure on certainly the Pelicans because if you don't want – you don't want the season to end this way. If it ends at home to the Thunder, a team that feels like they're breathing down your necks, you know, literally, I mean, like it feels like going into next season, you look at the Thunder and you say they get Chet back and they get another good pick and they've got a lot of cap space to go sign a vet and add some stuff. It feels like they're right behind you to go into the offseason and to lose to the Thunder. I think that that pressure is there and it's a test for the Pelicans mentally. Can you now handle being in this position where people expect you to win? They, today was a toss-up. You know, fair, you know, I think fair is fair. On the road against Minnesota, you had to consider that a toss-up. Though they blew the game that they were up 15 in. At home against the Grizzlies, I mean, against, um, uh, uh, against the Thunder, they're going to be the favorite. They're going to be expected to win this game. And I think that they need to play um, with the confidence of a favorite but the desperation of a team that that is facing elimination. Yeah, and considering this group, group has played much better since that second win uh, in Houston, they've seemingly, whenever they've had a bad performance or even a bad half, like, you know, the second half against the Warriors and kind of that letdown right against the Kings at home where they just bludgeoned them from start to finish, they've bounced back after both of those losses really well. So this is another disappointing loss here on Sunday night, Easter Sunday. I think they have that propensity to bounce back. I just want to see that carry over. So I know I don't want to look ahead, mm-hmm. right? Nothing's a given. And I, I hope I'm not trying to convey that. But the thing is, this is not part of the year where you can no longer have an acceptable loss. This is where you have to do everything that's required of you on the scouting report. This means putting a butt on somebody when every shot goes up. 
This means making a right read. So before you dribble the ball up the court, you know where all five opponents are standing on the court, all those type of things. So, like I said, I expect for that type of mentality to come out of OKC. But my question is going to be, if they do win that one, will it continue? Chances are it's a coin flip because, as we've been basically stating, this team has not played the best ball, even though they've won 9-12, to 12, right? Like there's still some chinks in the armor that they can correct. They're not going to have any more second chances anymore. They absolutely won't. But the, the great thing is there's still a game to play. If, if, if there are a lot of teams today. There are 10 teams that after today, their seasons are over. At least for three more days, we get to talk about actual games for the New Orleans Pelicans. And we will be with you. We will come back. And, and uh, as we lead up to the game, we'll, Ali and I will certainly be here um, on the bird calls to talk about it. And, of course, the bird rights is up and active again. Um, please bear with us as we, we go through some of the, the, the machinations of the changeover from – uh, SB Nation to us uh, controlling the site, but uh, it's 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 getting to where we want it to be, and, and I'm I'm really excited, Ali, about where we are. Absolutely, yeah. This this transfer is taking a lot longer than any of us expected, right? We just got comments going today. I mean, we just started posting articles within the last 24 hours, and all this was supposed to happen at the start of this past week. So, thank God we got here. Hopefully, we won't have any of those type of errors, just like the Pels moving forward. <laughs> Absolutely, and um, just. I'm excited, and, and it's great already just in the short term, just getting to work with you again, and I'm excited about the future for us and for the, for the Pelicans. I'm still excited. I, I, I there's oh, and You talked about this today. Yeah. You talked about this today. I mean, like, there's still so much possible. So we'll see what it is, but we go through it with open eyes. We you know what Alvin eyes. used to say all the time, right, because they had a couple of those good seasons. You don't go from here all the way up here. You got You can't skip steps. Right. So I think we're seeing or what we hope to see them take that next step from last year. So even though you don't have Zion, I feel like the way they finished the season, when we all pretty much counted them out, they put themselves in position to maybe eclipse what they did last year. Let's just see they take advantage of it. And, and again, to me, even if they were to lose to Oklahoma City, it's about how they perform. Yeah, totally. It, it, and, and, and I think that's what we, you know, with today, it's not about losing to Minnesota. It's how they lost. It's all. It's always that. Even some of the wins you look at and you go, that wasn't a good win. Mm-hmm. But it's, you take the dub, but you, you know you have to be realistic. And I think that that's the thing for the Pelicans is we want to see the, the, the mental growth for this team. That's number one. That's number one. Ali, any final words before we get out of here? No, I think we've said enough. I know, like you, you're probably tired. I'm tired. We'll save the rest of this for another day. <laughs> That's right. So as soon as we get, we get a chance to get over to to Pelicans practice facility and get ready, get you ready for the game, we will do so. And of course, we'll have stuff on game day and beyond. But until the next time, he's Ali Coso. I'm David Grubb, and this has been the Bird Calls. And in the words of our friend Preston Ellis, "Let's go Pelicans." listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today